Man, I said it in the first service, and I'll say it again here tonight. Man, what a sense of the Holy Spirit in both services. Amen? I don't know if I'm just like, I got to check my own pulse or what, but man, I'm telling you what, the Lord is just, there's a, such a sense of worship in both services and, and uh, an awareness of God's presence. And uh, man, when we get into the presence of God and start experiencing the Holy Spirit like that, it just does something to us. And so I'm thankful for moments like this and thankful for an incredible worship team. I know that I say that all the time, but man, I'm so grateful for the people that God has brought to lead us into the presence of God. We are so stinking blessed here at Coastal. Amen? Straight up we are. Um, Well, gang, we're going to jump into Romans. Not tonight, next week. And uh, just kidding. And uh, Brett's going to actually be preaching next Sunday. And so I'm excited for you, for you guys to hear him. I'm going to be on vacation for a little bit. And then actually after that, we actually have Alex and James going to be bringing the word the following week. Ooh, right? Come on. You know, at our church here at Coastal, and it's my passion, and I believe we're called to do this, we are all about developing the next generation of leaders. And so we want to have opportunity for people to grow in their gifts and have opportunity, and so we're excited for that. But tonight we're going to land the plane on the series on the church. And tonight I'd like to talk about passion. So when you think about the word passion, what picture comes to your mind? Do you have like an image when you think about passion or or what have you? Like what's the first thing that pops into your head? Now maybe for some of you that especially that are sports fans, maybe something like this. Or maybe when you think about passion, you see a picture like this. Kind of looks like Brett a little bit, right? (laughs) So today I'd like to talk about passion, and we all have different kinds of passions. Some of us are passionate about sports. Some of us are passionate about nature. I'm not that much. Some of us are passionate about fishing. Most of us in this room have a passion for something. And when, uh, when Charlotte was born, about two months in, uh, we were kind of praying for Charlotte. And I encourage you all to pray for your kids. We were praying for Charlotte. And she's like, two months old can't be a whole passionate about anything, right? They don't do a whole lot. But the Lord actually spoke to my wife and I and said that this child is going to have a ton of passion. And you need to trust me with how to like direct it. Well, guess what? She's five now, and the Lord was right. <laughs> and this past week, I was sitting down with Shire, and I was just talking to her a little bit about her, like, her emotion and managing her emotion. And I said, the Lord has just given you a lot of passion, and you need how to learn how to like, use it for him and to kind of get it under control by times. And so she responded back, and she said, well, Dad, what's passion? And so I just explained to her that passion is like, these emotions that God has actually given to us that kind of that, that motivate us. It's our, our core motivations. It's our fuel and our fire. It's often the thing that's in the core of our being that moves us to do something. And we all have different passions. And some of our passions are good. And some of our passions are a little unhealthy. Like it's good to be passionate about wanting to be a good parent. It's good to be passionate about wanting to do the right thing. And it's even good to be passionate about different things that God has directed us to do. But sometimes our passions get out of order, or sometimes we have passions for the wrong things. 
Sometimes maybe we have passion for money. Or sometimes we have passions for things that actually suck the life out of us. But passion is like a fuel. And passions tend to captivate our attention and our affection. Passion makes us laser focused on a specific thing. And passions are really hard to turn off. You just can't stop thinking about it and you can't stop talking about it. Have you ever met someone that has a passion for something that you have zero interest in? They start having a conversation with you about something and you're like, man, like, I need to, like, leave or go do something different. Like, how many of you here in this room are Star Wars fans? Nine people. Awesome. So, for those of you that weren't in that nine, if, if myself and someone else that was a Star Wars fan started a big, long yarn with you about Star Wars and about Obi-Wan Kenobi, and about Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader and all these different things. If we got in this long yarn about Star Wars, we're explaining all the details and all the nine episodes and all the miniseries, you're praying to the Lord saying, Lord, I don't know what planet we're on right now according to Star Wars, but take me off of it. But passion has that effect on you that you just cannot, like it's an unquenchable fire burning inside of you. It's just compelling you to do something, to talk about it, moving you into action. So here's a question I want to raise tonight. What's the church's passion? Holy Spirit, reveal to us tonight in this space, what is the church's passion? And I think I lament at times when the church has lost sight of what the passion of the church is supposed to be. And sometimes we can get focused on the wrong things as a church. We can focus on buildings or budgets or other things that are good that we need to think about, but they become the thing that motivates us and fuels us and really governs our decisions when actually the passion of Jesus is actually supposed to govern our decisions. That's what's supposed to move us and motivate us to do something. And frankly, I know... This weekend was a beautiful weekend, and we're moving into summer. And as, like, as one of your pastors, I want you to have Sabbath and rest this summer, because I know some of us work at such breakneck speed, you need to chill, okay? You need to relax and allow your soul to recover a little bit. But one thing I don't want to happen this summer for you is I don't want you to get apathetic. And apathy is just this, it's, it's the opposite of passion. It's where you just go... And this summer is going to be really easy for you to lose your passion for Jesus and his passion for what he wants to do. And so that's why I want to talk about passion here tonight. And if you want to know what the passion of the church is supposed to be, we need to go back to the architect. And who, who created the church? Who birthed the church in Acts chapter 2? Who sent the Holy Spirit from the right hand of God in Acts 2 to make the church be a thing. Jesus. And so we're going to go back to a story of Jesus tonight. And I believe that this account that Jesus has himself, that the Father led him into, is actually something that God wants every single one of us in this room to experience. And not only that individually. 
God wants to take you all on a journey, and he wants to take you through the process of pouring his passion into your bones. But not only does God want to do that individually, but God wants to pour his passion into us collectively as a church. And so I want to talk about a scripture tonight that I think all of us individually and corporately as a church need to experience in order for us to be filled with the passion of the Father. This is uh, Matthew chapter 9. This is what the Bible says. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. The Bible says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So Jesus went from community to community. He went from place to place, and he saw crowds. And as he saw these crowds, he did two things. He healed their afflictions, and he taught about the kingdom of God. So I saw a crowd with all different kinds of diseases, physically, all kinds of emotional issues, all kinds of mental issues. And Jesus went into these crowds and saw them and actually ministered to their needs. But he didn't just, like, fix their physical need. He actually taught them about something far deeper. He taught them about the kingdom of God. He explained to them what the kingdom of God is and what happens when we actually yield our life up to the lordship of Jesus. He actually taught about this new kingdom reality that we can experience wholeness and we can enter into this kingdom and experience direction and purpose and all the great things that the kingdom of God brings into our lives. Jesus began to explain about the kingdom because these people desperately needed to hear about it. The only way they would experience fulfillment and purpose and meaning was for them to learn about this kingdom. And so Jesus taught on the kingdom, and he met their need. The Bible says he went from community to community doing this. He was an itinerant preacher. And so when he saw the crowds, he saw their needs. And the Bible says when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw each crowd in each community he went to and said they were helpless and harassed. How many of you have ever felt like you've been helpless and harassed? That you're the person that's broken. That you're the person in the crowd that has all these kinds of needs. I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus sees you. He sees you. He sees the crowds and he sees the individuals. And that's what Jesus saw. You know, Jesus traveled from community to community. And back in the day, they didn't have, like, cars or trucks. At best, they had a camel. No one laughed at the first service either. Man, I'm getting, I'm struggling here, man. Let's go. But Jesus would walk with his disciples. And I shared the story before, but when I was in Israel, I remember being on the Sea of Galilee, 
And I remember like looking into Capernaum, which was like Jesus' headquarters in the Bible times. That was his home base where Peter's house was. And I remember looking into Capernaum on the water, and I remember looking at this community, and I'd seen all the communities on the mountains around. And I just had this picture. It was such a cool moment where Jesus was with his disciples, and I'd just seen him traveling, this picture of him going from community to community and crowds gathering in each of these communities where he was doing ministry. And everywhere the Bible teaches where a crowd gathered, Jesus would minister to their needs. He would travel from Capernaum to like a community like Bethsaida. And he'd walk there and crowds would gather and he'd heal them. Then he would travel to a community like Gennesaret. And he would travel there and, and, and minister there and, and heal people and teach about the kingdom of God. And he would travel to places like Nazareth. And all the places named in the scriptures, Jesus would travel. And he would heal people. And so many crowds gathered in cities that Jesus actually was restricted to only meet in the wilderness. You know there's times in Scripture where Jesus says, now don't tell anyone that I've healed you? Do you ever think that was weird? you ever think it was weird that when Jesus healed someone, he said, don't tell anyone? Do you want to know why? It's because if you follow along the Scripture, Jesus would go to the city centers, crowds would gather, and he would minister to them. But soon the crowds got so big, he couldn't actually enter into the city centers, which is why he went to the wilderness. But even in the wilderness, crowds came out to him. You know the story, the feeding of the 5,000, right? That was an instance where they were following Jesus as a crowd. And Jesus is like, the disciples are like, what are we going to do? Jesus is like, you feed them. And so the crowds came over and over again. Every community Jesus went to, Jesus saw the crowds. And he saw all their needs. And he was inundated with this overwhelming sense of their need. And he ministered to them. But how many of you know that Jesus was fully God, but he was also what? Fully man. Jesus, when he came down to earth, he actually limited himself. Read Philippians chapter 2. It's right there. He limited his divine abilities. So he's limited to time, and his body was limited to space. And he knew that if I'm going to go and minister and go to all these communities that have all these same kinds of crowds with these same kinds of issues, that people that desperately need to hear this message of the kingdom, like, I need more men and women. I need more people for this ministry to happen, and I need to mobilize a movement. Enough is enough. These people need help. They're helpless and harassed. And so Jesus instructs his disciples to do what? pray. He said, then he said to his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. I love it that not only did Jesus see the crowds, who else saw the crowds? The disciples. They were right there. Did you know that Jesus allowing his disciples to see the crowds was actually strategic? He wanted the disciples to see the crowd. Because the same transformation that Jesus was experiencing, he wanted his disciples to experience. And, church, he wants you to experience. He wanted his disciples to see the crowds. He wanted his disciples to be moved with compassion. And then he instructs his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And then in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, we see Jesus mobilize and send out a movement.
Jesus sees the crowd. He's moved with compassion. He prays, instructs his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Then he sends out his disciples. Here's the deal, church. God wants to birth his passion inside of us. But birthing is not a pleasant experience, I've been told. You guys okay out there? Just checking. I like, now I confess, I don't want to be like, yeah, I confess I haven't actually done that. But I was there and witnessed birth of three of my children. And based on my wife's testimony, it wasn't all that pleasant. And the process of birthing things, like birthing coastal, like it was hard. It's amazing what God has done. But it was hard. And the process of God, like birthing his passion on you, is hard and it's messy and it's uncomfortable. But man, it's worth it when you have the passion of Jesus burning in your bones and moving you and motivating you and governing your life. Jesus wants to take the church on a journey of seeing the crowd. He wants to take the church on a journey of being moved with compassion. He wants to take our church on a journey where we start interceding and praying for the needs that we see in our community here. And he wants to send us on mission out to actually bring healing and wholeness to people in our community that desperately need it. Amen? So do you see the crowd? Do you see the crowd in our community? Do you see the needs in our community? Do you see the addict in our community? Do you see the children that need care and compassion? Do you see the immigrant who is lonely and longing for friendship and to be understood? Do you see the family that is struggling to hold things together? Or have we tuned all that out? Because it's messy, and we don't like how it makes us feel. And is it way easier just to go home at night and watch Netflix and tune everything else out? And escape the reality that is literally right here in front of our face, right next door with our next door neighbor. Because here's the deal, church. Jesus actually wants to lead us in to see the crowd. He wants us to see the brokenness that is right here in our own community. But it's not a very fun feeling. And actually, it's messy, it's inconvenient, and it's incredibly uncomfortable. But if you're going to truly see the brokenness in people's hearts and lives, you've got to get close enough to see it. And something happens inside of you when you see brokenness like that. Something starts to stir inside of you. The Holy Spirit starts stirring your heart, and you're like, Jesus was when he saw crowd after crowd after crowd after crowd. You see, every crowd that Jesus saw was another blow to his heart. And finally, he says, something must be done. And when you see crowd in person after person with brokenness, with mess, with dysfunction, something happens internally inside of you. And you say, something must be done. There's got to be something. And the good news for us here as a church is we have the answer. Jesus is the answer 
to all of our mess, to all of our dysfunction, to all of our brokenness. And so it moves us with compassion, and it moves us to pray. Jesus says he was moved with compassion, and the first action Jesus did when he was moved with compassion was what? To instruct his disciples to pray. Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision and Samaritan's Purse, he prayed this very dangerous prayer. He said, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. He was just so broken by the state of children in poverty and people in need across our world that God just broke his heart and moved him into action. You see, compassion is passion in action. It's compassion is passion mobilized. Compassion is passion moving, doing something, impacting. And that's what God wants to pour into your spirit. He wants to pour in his passion and then move that passion into action. But he instructs the disciples to pray first. This entourage of people that are with him, that see the crowd, and that are moved with compassion. He instructs his disciples to pray because he wants them to be in a spot where their hearts are They're ready to actually receive from the Father a download from the Father of his heart for those people. So they can then be moved with the compassion of God to actually minister to the needs of other people. Do you see it? Prayer puts us in a position to actually open our hearts and receive from God. When we're worshiping Jesus here tonight in this space, and we're blessing God, and we're pressing into him, and we open ourselves up to God as we sing his praise, the Father can then download his heart into us. And when God fills us with his passion, he's actually preparing us to be the answer to our own prayer. Have you ever thought about that? That God actually wants to use you to be the answer to a lot of your own prayers for other people? You see, as you begin to pray for those people, your next door neighbor, the family member you're burdened about, or a particular issue in our community, whether it's addictions or people, children in need of care, or whatever the issue, or immigrants, as God begins to stir your heart with needs of the community, God begins to break your heart for the things that break his, and he begins to pour his passion into your heart. Now let me ask you a question. Who do you think God wants to use to reach those people? The person who's prayed, and the person who has received God's heart for those particular people. A few years ago, we started praying for people with addictions in our community. And there's a number of people that painstakingly went through the Celebrate Recovery Step Study Guide because they said such a passion to see people with addictions reached in our community. And I'm so pleased that this fall, we're going to be launching CR for the whole community. And it's for everyone. We all got issues. But it started with prayer. It started with, God, break my heart for the things that break yours. And don't be surprised as you begin to pray for those people that are burdening your heart. Don't be surprised if as you're driving, you're praying, you're on your knees in your prayer closet in your bedroom, or you're praying in the shower. Don't be surprised as you pray 
that God just, you just begin to weep because you're so broken for something. That is God's process of filling you with his passion. And then who's better to send than someone that's been filled with the passion of God? You literally have his heart. You have his words. You have his love inside of you. You're ready to be sent. And that's exactly what we see happening in this passage of Scripture. You know, one of the things that's unhelpful about Matthew chapter 9 and 10 is that there's chapter and verse markings. In the original language that the Scripture was written, there was no Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, and Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. It just flowed all together. So Jesus instructs his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. And what happens the very next verse? Those same disciples who Jesus instructed to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in the field, what happens? They become the answer to their own prayers because they are sent out with power and authority to heal people of diseases, to cast out demons, to see people set free, and to teach about the kingdom of God. You see, as you pray and receive God's passion and receive his power, God, in all likelihood, wants you to be the answer to your own prayers. Here's a question, church, for you tonight. Are you prepared to be the answer to your own prayers? Because it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be incredibly uncomfortable. It's going to be messy. It's going to be broken. It's not going to be fun all the time. It's going to cause you to sacrifice and serve. But isn't that what following Jesus is really all about? But in our culture here today, like, and I'm guilty of this, I like being comfortable. Like, I avoid unpleasant feelings at all costs. And yet Jesus, the Spirit of God, leads us into these experiences where we sense and feel and deal with messiness and broken. Church, in our culture today, we worship comfort as a God. But Jesus actually wants to push us out of our comfort zone and send us on mission. Louis Giglio had this to say about comfort. God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to be faithful. Most of us desire to be comfortable, safe and secure. We like things to be orderly in our lives, not chaotic. And none of those things are deadly in and of themselves. Trouble arises when the desire for safety and security becomes a theme in our lives. When a relaxation mentality supplements our attentiveness to God's call in our lives. Jesus took time off. In church, I want you to take time off this summer. I want you to rest. I want you to be with your family. But hear this word. Jesus took time off, but he didn't come to earth to relax. Your purpose is not work really hard so I can have the summers off to just enjoy my family. That's not your purpose. You have a greater purpose and call than that. God has a greater plan for your life than just that. He actually, your pivotal call, your primary call is actually to be sent on mission in everything you do. Whether that means you're on vacation and you're investing in your family and you use that as opportunity to disciple your children. Or whether that means you're on the golf course enjoying a time, but you're intentionally in line with the Holy Spirit as he gives you the words to speak to that unchristian friend you're golfing with. It's looking for those opportunities when you're relaxing at your cottage, but you still know you're sent on mission that God wants to use you. You see it? Comfort can be dangerous. 
because it is subtle in its deception. It can cause us to miss the very best because we've steeled for something good. On the surface, everything looks fine. What could be wrong with having a nice family, a good job, a routine? The problem is we might forget the grand scheme of things, namely eternity. We have about five seconds on earth to make our lives count. Comfort and familiarity are not what Jesus points us towards. The calling of faith pushes us out of our comfort zone. Christ came into the world so he could send us out into the world. That's why Jesus said, be in the world but not of it. We are filled with his Holy Spirit and we can walk where Jesus walked and be the hands and feet of Jesus. God wants to help us to see that there's a fight to be fought, church. A race to be run. Something of internal significance to be contended for. He calls us all to a greater purpose. But he knows how easy it is to just eat a good meal, relax with a nice drink, and and forget about the brevity of life here on earth. Church, don't settle for comfort. Step forward in faith, even when you don't know anything. Other than that, you're far out here with God on this limb believing that he wants to make his name famous and known, and he wants to use you to reach other people. If you move in faith, God will always breathe his life into you. Church, do you see the crowds? Are you moved with compassion? Are you praying and interceding on behalf of those needs that you see? And are you prepared, church, to be the answer to your own prayer because Jesus wants to mobilize a movement to minister and reach the needs of this community. And he wants to use you to do it. Will you make your heart available to Jesus tonight, even as we transition into summer, to say, Lord, here I am. You can have it all. I'm available. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just open ourselves to you, and would you break our hearts for the things that break yours? We open ourselves to you and say, Lord, here we are. You can have it all. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.